Wow, it's your boy Ezana, and that's my lovely lady, Millie Moon Baby. And you are now tuned in to another episode of FOH Couples Edition. And today we have a special guest. Yes, um, today here we have Nicole, and Nicole, she's a you know I'll, I'll let her do our own intro too. But you know, to me, she is a educator. She's a body lit educator. She is a mental activist. To me, she's a friend. She's you know a mentor, and and, and all these things, and it's really beautiful um, in the way that we've um, connected. And I'm so excited to be able to bring you on here today. Um, and just be able to hear about all this wonderful work that you've been doing and just about your journey, how you got there. Because I think, you know, a lot of people are at where you were at, right? And um, so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. All right. Um, well, thank you for having me. First of all, I really appreciate it and I'm excited for the conversation. Um, but my name is Nicole. Um, I'm a fertility awareness educator. So I work in menstrual health. Um, and I've also been an herbalist for several years, uh, doing farming and foraging, um, mostly uh, medicinals, but also edibles as well. Um, so my journey has been, um, a twisted one, a, one where now I feel like a lot of my interests are dovetailing. And so um, I work on a lot of different elements of reproductive and sexual health um, and just genuinely trying to have uh, better relationships with each other and uh, with the earth. So that requires, you know, decolonizing and, uh, you know, being uh, really steadfast in our values and our goals and trying to live that out in the ways that we can. So um, that's a little bit about my work and uh, I hope to, you know, expand more on it as we chat. Yeah, um, tell us a little bit, just, you know, where, where are you right now? I mean, like that, that in itself, you know, I've sort of seen. Yeah, sure. When I first, you know, uh, kind of got a connection with you, you were here in the States. So, um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, when I turned 18, I moved out to New York City. And that's really the beginning of my story because New York is what um, brought me to the world and uh, expanded my worldview and helped me uh, learn a lot, read a lot of books, meet a lot of people, uh, be a part of social movements. And so that. Um, sort of got my my wheels turning about community and that turned into me really getting interested in urban farming. So I was interested in these people who took the, the city and made it into a place that could sustain um, and made it into a place that fostered community. So that was my first inspiration that maybe, you know, New York, this place of the rich wasn't uh, exactly the place where I was going to end up that actually uh, more of the countryside was going to end up being my uh, my world. So eventually this moved to um, me and my partner meeting in Brooklyn and uh, and us getting together and starting to compost an urban farm together. So that was a really big shift in my life because not only did I uh, gain a, a romantic partner, um, I gained a lot more actually like a, a comrade, I guess, in the world to be able to navigate what is now, as we can see, turning out to be a, a stranger and stranger world. So um, we got together and we just started farming. We started farming chickens in Brooklyn and, uh, you know, teaching people about how it was possible to do a lot with a little bit of land. Yeah. Um, 
or even no land, even just pots and things like mm -hmm. that, you know, how to have a container garden. Yeah. So we worked on that for a few years um, and we also got involved in the uh, lead um, campaign. So there's a lot of lead in the soil and in the water in the cities. And that happened to us as well. Oh, did that happen to you? Well, it was more so like in a paint. Right. Yeah. Like, like ah, Yes. Another way that it gets into yeah. the environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this happened to us with the soil um, and we were we were growing in raised beds separated from the soil, but we knew the soil was um, compromised and eventually our, our landlords told us that we had to leave. And so we had nowhere for our urban farm to go. So yeah. this is what actually spurned us to leave New York was sort of, um, you know, our farm getting having to dismantle our farm. And uh, and that started us to get on the move. So we eventually moved to Mexico. And that was another type of farming where we were, you know, in a, in a much different climate. Um, and we expanded our worldview there by trying to learn from Mexican farmers um, and the people who are around us about the local herbs and the places to go to forage and things like that. And uh, then basically the pandemic hit and we knew we needed to get out of America in more of a permanent way. So we looked into uh, getting our visas and uh, we, we ended up moving to Portugal. So now we're, we're residents of Portugal um, and we will hopefully be here for the future, um, starting a farm here. So that's kind of uh, where we're at today. So, so that's where I am now. Um, I made it to Portugal and it does feel like a big sense of relief in a lot of ways to be here uh, and that we can still complete the same goals that we always had back in the states but in a in a way in a much safer environment yeah um why portugal yeah it's a really interesting story um when we were in mexico we weren't sure what was going to happen next with our travels and so i had this idea that i would print out a map of the world yeah. and then i would put you know x's over places that my friends were from because we both being from new york and whatnot we we knew people from kind of all over at that point right. and they had left new york too and gone different places so i was like let me put x's all over the map and it just so happened that I had a friend in Lisbon um, who was living here. And so I contacted her and I said, hey, you know, me and my partner are thinking of coming to Lisbon. What would you, you know, what would you recommend? Like, where should we go? And she was like, I'm actually going to be going to Bali for six weeks and I need someone to watch my cats. And yeah. so it just the timeline worked perfectly where um, we were able to go and visit Portugal for three months. Um, this was just before the pandemic. So it was like when everything was still normal outside. And so we got to experience Portugal and we knew immediately that we wanted to um, set some roots over here uh, because of the agriculture, the way of life, the cost of living and the safety aspects, um, having access to the beach and also the mountains. It really had a lot of the qualities of life that we wanted. So we just sort of said, uh, now's our chance, I guess, to try and make this happen. Um, and we just didn't falter, basically. We just like put faith that the next thing would arise from here. So it's been pretty good so far. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. love that. You know, I think there you see a lot of faith in yourself, but also in each other. Yeah. And in this, um, you know, this like idea of being a comrade that you speak of, I think it's beautiful. I think it's, it's deep in the way that, you know, is someone who is gonna stand by me because they stand by the same values that I do. 
And I think that's really、mm -hmm. something that you know you need when you're making those kind of moves as well, because you know it takes a lot of、um, you know just takes a lot of effort to leave somewhere, right? Somewhere, right. especially somewhere、right. where you are always are, and especially America. For me, being someone who、uh, you know immigrated from Nepal to America, there was always this idea of America being you know like. The golden land, you know, the place where、yes. um, you know you could do anything, and and the idea of pulling up yourself on bootstrap is something that they've really you know decimated, and and that's the you know that's the everlasting effect of colonialism, right?、And、so we're always、mm -hmm. looking to、um, decolonize, and I think even the idea of you know you doing urban farming and、um, you know co coming from you know brown households, we. You know, in our backyards, we'll grow so many things, and you know, I've had chickens and all those kind of things. So it's it's so interesting to see how,、um, you know, the idea of returning back to that, you know, and, and kind of like having that sustainability model in your house,、um, and and how you're able to achieve that with a partner who also you know understands that. Yeah, it spreads really quickly everywhere we go. I feel like people are influenced by it, and people build their own chicken coops next door, and yeah, they just. Want to be a part of it in different ways.、Um, we share seeds with everyone, and you just try to foster the things that you want out of out of life. And yeah, it's very interesting depending on how many generations you are into America and American like brainwashing. I guess that you like sort of feel so attached to it. But my partner is a first generation American, and I'm like second. So it. It's funny in a way that we both wanted or like felt the call to leave because,、uh, yeah, it doesn't spiritually even feel right sometimes to be there,、um, you know. And I participated in a a share of、um, my fights, like when I lived there. You know what I mean? I was always involved in the local things that needed getting done.、Um, I'm very much like a, an execution type of person, so I feel like I definitely put my foot in it while I was there. And now I'm also able to help people better from afar、yeah. because my calling really is to work on these particular issues and help people by making medicine and helping guide people through their health.、Um, you know, so to me, it's like this is still. I'm still helping people in the U.S. all the time,、um, so I still feel very connected、yeah. to it in that way. Where I feel like that fight is really still important to me, even though I'm I'm here now. Yeah, definitely.、Um, tell us a little bit about. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned being an herbalist and、um, just about the the apothecary, basically. That is kind of a、um, online store. Yeah, yeah. It started back in Brooklyn when we were、uh, doing it on a really small scale. We were doing sort of these community teach-ins about urban farming,、um, sharing our eggs and things and our vegetables and herbs with people.、Mm -hmm. But、uh, it's really blossomed from there. And me and my partner started a company called Polycultured. And Polycultured is、uh, an apothecary that is, you know, small batch artisanal. So we are basically making everything by hand, and much of the items are are. Foraged by us as well, so we're constantly working with the seasons, working with the herbs at their their peaks, so that we can harvest them at the right time and show respect、yeah. to the plants. And、um, all of that really translates into the medicine that gets made from it. So I really started、um, working on this for personal reasons.、Um, I wanted 
to start to understand herbalism better for my own health. And then it just really blossomed into doing a lot of research about the power of herbs and uh, the different things that they can help us with and be allies to us in our lives. So, um, you know, it started with uh, sort of general health and then I got into more of the reproductive and sexual health elements. And then we realized that uh, that was really powerful, that plant medicine like works very well for these issues. Um, and then of course the pandemic hit. So we immediately started to go after, well, what can we do about the the problem of SARS-CoV-2? How can we keep our people safe? And so that's just how I approached it. Really, I've thought of herbalism as this, you know, way to respond to the world, whatever is sort of happening in our lives, um, we have to respond to it. And so I use uh, the plants and mushrooms and animals to things that are around to uh, to cultivate that. Yeah, no, and it's, it's quite powerful, you know, just having that knowledge and um, I myself, you know, it's I've been in schooling, right, like traditionally schooling for um, for medicine and, you know, we learn the origins of, um, you know, allopathic medicine and all of it really originates back to plants, right? Like that's where they derive most, I mean, almost all of their um, you know, origins of the different kind of um, medications that we have. And honestly, all the medications are just a modification of the, mm. the original original plant, right? And now yep. it's just even more modification of it. Um, and but but the, the, the fact is that, you know, alphabetic medicine, medicine comes with so much of side effects, right? And we don't necessarily learn about the power that, that actual plants have. And all that kind of medicine is really thought of as, you know, really out there. And th this is something that I combat, you know, in my um, in my school or just in my clinic days when, you know, we never speak about nutrition. We, ne we never, you know, it's always maybe like um, going towards weight loss, right? That's a re really big thing that, that medicine yeah. um, does is, is focus on that. Um, and never, you know, never really understanding that we are able to kind of, you know, if we're able to get access to this kind of knowledge, then we could heal ourselves as well, right? right. And and we have that power. And we, but but it's, but it's like that kind of information. I think you know, obviously, in a way, is intentionally not shared. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of it is kept from us, um, and uh, it's it's sort of classed in a different way. Uh, pharmaceuticals are you know considered to be this thing that's always separate from. Uh, plants or plant medicine, plant medicine being mm. on a lower rung. Mm -hmm. But uh, actually, like you've said, there's a lot of different things that we would have never been able to develop without um, without plant derivatives. For instance, like Tamiflu, that's for, you know, the flu. That's yeah. made from star anise. Um, so when there's a global shortage of star anise, there's a global shortage of Tamiflu. Or the birth control pill was made originally that um, the the progestins that are were used in the pill were isolated from wild yams. So, you know, there's all these yeah. examples of where um, medicine is really having to look at how the plants who are, in my opinion, the oldest chemists on the earth, right? They, yeah. they can't run away from their uh, predators. So they have to make chemicals in their roots and in their um, aerial parts and in their flowers and fruits sometimes to in order to uh, try and survive and get their species to continue on. So, you know, as a human who's working with that plant, you're just sort of 
um, taking all of their evolutionary knowledge and, and using it in raw form. And then pharmaceuticals are just, you know, uh, sort of isolating it down to specific constituents, their building blocks, and then trying to see how our, the human body responds to those isolated constituents. And sometimes the isolated constituent is more indicated. Other times the whole plant with all of its diverse chemicals is more indicated and usually, like you said, has less side effects because of that. So it's very interesting to um, to understand it in like a chemical or scientific way, as well as um, sort of the, the magic of not fully understanding that science can't fully capture what these things do all the time. But traditional medicine knows and time, you know, is the test. When something is used for long periods of time, I usually listen up because it means that, you know, people survived off of that technique or that medicine. So, yeah. Right, right. And I think it, it just speaks to a lot of that community knowledge that we are lacking, right? And I think now it's definitely evolving, right? So like we have different spaces where we're, we're having these conversations and we, you know, we have educators and um, I think it's definitely evolving, but I think that's something that is 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 missing, right? Or, or was for a very long time. And there was a lot of um, doubt in that community knowledge when in reality, yes. that's mm -hmm. really what we, you know, what we can rely on and, th and that's really what um, will lead us, you know, to really just know more and more beyond kind of like what we're taught in these schools. Mm. And, you know, right. just, just the fact that, you know, like in the USA, I think like 13, maybe not 15 states, 15 states, um, you know, require that the sex education in their schools are medically accurate. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for the rest of the states? So it's just whoever, whoever can just say whatever they want to. And like that's just, you know, and um, actually that kind of leads me into um, the body visual leader, uh, body lit reader. This is amazing, Nicole. Like first Thank I just have you. to hand it to you. I, when I first opened it, I was just amazed because I, like I said, as someone who is paying a ton of money, going to a school that is made for me to know about medicine and the body part and you know, no. just anatomy. Like I have never seen images such as this ever in my life other than what I personally researched, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of um, mind blowing. And, and, and like I told you, I, I use this um, in the kind of sex education that I do. And, you know, they, uh, you know, they themselves were just so amazed about, you know, just the quality of the pictures, the, you know, anatomical um, accuracy. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was just so powerful. Tell us kind of about, you know, what led you into kind of making the book and just a little, little bit about it. Sure. Um well, the body literacy coloring book and the body literacy visual reader were a concept that I came up with about two years ago because I teach classes um, in different aspects of fertility awareness. So I teach people how to practice contraception naturally. I teach people how to understand their health issues better through charting their fertility signs. And when I would make these presentations, I realized that uh, there's no pictures on the internet of our body parts, like very few, all of them are um, coded with a white person, even though there's really no, they're like internal organs that they're describing, but they're like still putting the white skin there. And there were just like so many egregious parts of, you know, the clitoris, like just being like not there or a, like a little piece that like didn't describe it anatomically. 
um, the sexual glands being missing. So these are like the arousal glands that we have that, you know, secrete small amounts of fluid when, when we first begin the first stages of arousal. Um, there was nothing online really about uh, clitoral erections, about how our um, vulva and the parts of the clitoris get all these tissues get erect just the way that a penis gets erect. Um, and I was actually doing some research that we may get morning wood as well. So check that out. See a as you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah, no, so, that would make a lot of sense. That, that is, <laughs> see, like, there's just so much missing information. And, you know, just, I mean, exactly. like, like I've told you before, when we had, you know, we had a cadaver that was donated for us to learn. And, you know, um, and while I had a, a male body cadaver, there were other, you know, female body cadavers in the lab. But during, even during the anatomy portion of my, you know, medical education, the part that they skipped over so quickly was the female reproductive system. And, wow. you know, they say, you know, oh, it's going to come back during your reproductive anatomy. And it's like, no, why? Why is it something that's siloed into, you know, oh, you know, during the, the sexual parts as if it's not something that, you know, is, you know, is as as equal to the male reproductive body parts. Right. And we spent almost a week, you know, dissecting um, the the genitalia of you know of, of a male body cadaver whereas for a female body cadaver i didn't even really get to see you know the, the uterus the way it is i think we really didn't spend any time and during our you know portion of the written part where it talks about the um you know just female pleasure i kid you not the language was a little different but this was the vibe it was like it was like these, you know, witchy beings with their powers that we, we're not really sure how they how they how, how they do what they do. It's very complicated, and we don't know about it yet. And we spent you know, almost a week learning about ejaculation, ejection, just the whole the whole cycle of the male reproductive system. And this is what you're teaching, you know, future doctors, future providers who are going to be not just OBs but just in general doc any kind of doctor, right? Because if you don't understand um, the importance of the different um, anatomical parts. If you don't even know about them, how are you going to treat them, right? And then we continue on this this idea that um, you know gyno issues or, or reproductive issues are not um, are not important, right? That's why we're, even now you have you know such a mass um, you know rise in like fibroids, which is tumors, but we don't actually ever you know, regard them as tumors, right? If we knew right. that so many people and, you know, in, in the US, I'm um, just fortunately it's black women who um, have a lot of fibroids. And this is something that the medical community doesn't really, um, you know, that has not, you know, it kind of regarded the medical importance of it. Right. And it's really just so wild. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I found with the anatomy when looking at these different images was that a lot of the times they wouldn't even show what a healthy body part looked like. They almost always show something wrong. So they'll show like um, a, a abnormal pap smear instead of just showing like what the cervix looks like normally. Right. Or they'll show uh, fibroids or PCOS, like gro growths, it looks like, you know, on your body. Um, so I think people, not only are they suffering from these things, but they've never even seen a gauge of, of what, what should be uh, normal or typical. Um, and they're getting absolutely zero support 
with um, you know the correct treatments for um, dealing with the, the symptoms and the pain of these uh, conditions as well as actually attacking them at the root. So I think being able to see visually um, these uh, these concepts helps you to better understand your body. And so my background being in art and photography, I sort of took my artistic sense and I just started to redraw these parts of the body and uh, redraw these uh, concepts around fertility so that people could start to understand it visually. And uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, um, if the two of you have been able to look at the at the images together at all and or if you will in the future and uh, if that will be able to help you in some way. Um, I think that well, I've, I don't know if we've really sat down and looked at it together just like, right. you know, intentionally, but I definitely right. want to, but you've definitely yeah. seen it when, when I, I've been yeah, looking I've, through it. Yeah. Just, just, just sitting next to me. Yeah. yeah, I'm familiar with it and have checked out the pictures and things. Yeah. <laughs> and and what, 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 what did you think? Like, is that the first time that you've really seen? Um, I mean, even just, just being here with you and just when you put it out there, just hearing the feedback that you get from it, a lot of people that's into the book. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it's working and, you know, it's teaching people. And like, thank you too. Like, do you, um, and you know, this is something that Nicole and I have to, and talked about yeah. as well, but just, you know, like, um, I guess just having someone who is, is, you know, like, like our relationship evolves as we both, evolve in our body literacy too right? right so like do you um nicole like do you feel like in, in your relationship um has that evolved like as your um as you know as you expand in just learning more things and you know in in your journey um do you feel like um your relationship with your partner has it evolved in that yeah um absolutely i think that it may be the thing that had the single greatest impact on our journey together. We already sort of were kindred spirits in a lot of other ways, but I think once we started to evolve together where we wanted to understand more about our body literacy in each person, you know, each person's pleasure, um, and also like living with the rhythm of one another, me being someone with a menstrual cycle and sort of changing week to week to week in, in terms of how my hormones are fluctuating and, and who I am and what I need. Um, and that extends to our real, you know, day-to-day -day relationship time and also to like our sexuality and how we express ourselves. So I, I, there's just places that understanding my fertility, first of all, brought me that just like knocked me over because um, one example would be like my relationship with uh, cum and like ejaculation. So I grew up in like a Catholic setting and in Catholicism, you're taught to really be like afraid of pregnancy. Um, you're also like shamed for sort of developing like during pu puberty, it's sort of like this thing that you don't talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and so like as my sexuality was developing, I could feel like those pressures from that sort of upbringing on me. But what I what I wanted to say was that like that being the starting point of where you come from, being able to slowly expand and and not be afraid of what it's like to become in because you know that there actually isn't a chance of pregnancy 80 percent 
of my menstrual cycle. So once I figured that out, that pregnancy was not this thing that I needed to be afraid of every single time, my relationship with sort of being a sub and enjoying cum completely changed because that fear of pregnancy was truly eliminated. And also, you know, I couldn't use the traditional forms of contraception. So I had tried that. It was very traumatic and um, I lost my ability to orgasm. Uh, so that was like really tough on my relationship. And so that's kind of what brought me to fertility awareness. And then once I figured out, you know, that that pregnancy was really only this short amount of time, the short window during the center of the cycle, and we learned how to track it so that we would avoid it, <laughs> it became this beautiful thing to um, be able to connect with uh, come more and to be able to uh, receive mm that energy more um without the fear of pregnancy so that's just one example of like how um fear and shame and a, and a lot of like childhood trauma can get in the way of your sexual um journey especially with another person um so so that's just one way in which i sort of started to see myself changing a lot in terms of what I wanted. And the other way was through like understanding my nerves. So understanding like the nerves of the cervix are different from the nerves of uh, the clitoris or the anus or um, the vagina. So like understanding that there are all these different places that are erotic zones um, and that you can tap into them um, and you can feel different sort of sensations. And there was a lot more to the world of sexuality, I think, once I started to understand body literacy. So that's like the, the huge connection for me. Like, you know, when you're healthy, you want to have sex. So your libido is better. And then you're, you have better sensitivity, better blood flow to your genitals. So, you know, it all goes together, yeah. health and fertility and, um, you know, sexual uh, energy. So, yeah, to me, it's been all like brewing together over time yeah no i definitely agree with you and i think that's something that i um you know i also share and um in that you know i think it starts with you know us kind of being shamed for menses right this whole idea of just even something you know beyond even before even having another person involved, right? Is the idea that we have this shame about our own bodies, about we don't even know what this really, this um, this phenomenon is, this, you know, this, um, this magical, powerful, you know, this sort of, um, this unknown. And so when you start with that shame early on and then it evolves into your puberty, right? And then that's when everything sort of hits where um, yeah, yeah. you have all this shame that you feel internally externally it's validated by other other menstruators also feeling shame right you're hiding menstrual products in your in your shirt like they're drugs <laughs> why 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 you know i just think back to those times in my life i feel so yep. when you have a spot on I your remember. clothes right and so um you know i think it starts from there and so then we just evolves into the idea that we don't know about our menses so we don't know about the cycles we don't know how to track them we don't we don't really know we ourselves think that we're crazy fertile beings right mm -hmm. and then and then that's kind of validated by society with them you know if you're if you act in a certain way you know oh are you are you, are you on your period right are, are you in menses and um so i think there's a lot of that shame and taboo in it and it starts so um young i mean even in utero right as soon as one knows that it's a female fetus so yes, exactly yeah so i think there's a lot yeah, of their medical schools too like just like you were saying you know they called they called women wild beings because <laughs> they all 
subscribe to the same ideology yeah. and then they're teaching the people who will then um touch and treat people yes um so yeah, yeah it's uh it's definitely all stems from this root these these root areas that are are really ancient and um and i think that the visual reader and the coloring book are this like really accessible attempt to try and address this so yeah. i'm trying to just show people you know here's your nerves like here's your clit um, you know, trying to create more uh, healthy depictions of our bodies and yeah. create more positivity around um, what it is to be in your body and uh, not be afraid of your body and not really know deep down how it is working and uh, to use that to your advantage in your life so that you can have a better quality of life and so that you can take more rest. Honestly, I think a lot of it is about negotiating um, the times of joy that we have that are not working, not um, sort of focused on all these uh, minuscule daily things, but instead really um, enjoying the important moments in life. And, and that's what a lot of this is about to me. I guess I see it as a very freeing and liberating thing um, when it's done with, uh, you know, with intentionality, so. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I think it's, it's really powerful. And I guess um, you, you, kind of, you kind of touched on this too, but this is something that I get asked a lot um, when, when we do kind of those, um, you know, like menstrual education talks um, with the yeah. kind of menstruation. And um, I guess, you know, is, is the idea that like, if non-menstruators, you know, don't have, or didn't have access to menstruators when they were young, right? Let's say for in their household, um, where maybe it was just the mom, but maybe there wasn't any talk about, about menses, right? And then now they're um, like, how can they kind of start the conversation or like start the attempt to understand? So like maybe, you know, like for your partner, I know like he was into just sort of this idea of body literacy for himself as well. Um, how, how did that kind of conversation start? Was it like you guys were both really into it or was it like you were, you know, you were in the inner journey and you were kind of teaching and it was a sort of um, ever evolving thing. And kind of what, what do you, what, do you, what kind of advice do you have for folks who, um, you know, want to start on that? But, you know, there's a lot of hesitancies, right? From both crowds, from menstruators and non-menstruators because it's sort of this, you know, you know, there's the idea that, you know, menstruators would be like, oh, this is, this is, um, you know, this is woman talk or, you know, this is, the, there's the whole idea of guarding it in a way because of the shame and taboo, I feel like, and also just like not, you know, not as much access to all the kind of knowledge that we could have. So tell us a little bit. Yeah, it's, it can be an intimidating thing to want to just like walk in the door of and all of a sudden start practicing um, because we aren't given any models of how this is possible really. And so I just started to kind of take my approach being just live my life and try and share it with with people and they'll start to catch on to what I'm doing just by me doing it and that that strategy has worked well but for someone who you know is feeling a little bit like they don't have enough information I think um, you know doing a lot of research is really important to feel very like there's a solid foundation for what it is that you want to embark on with this journey um, with body literacy, I think it really comes from what's your top needs. So like if you have a chronic health issue or something specific that you want to work on, you want to put that to the top of the list and kind of um, your whole body health will fall into line as you start to really focus on addressing that. When it came to me and my partner sort of understanding body literacy, I think we both were interested in how the earth medicine could help us with our longevity and sort of 
also help with like mood and just like feeling really good. So I, I think that inspired him. But um, it was really a lot of me teaching through the resources that I had found and and just um, you know he trusted me to uh, be able to understand the differences in my body. And then it was very soon after that he started to understand the differences too, just by sort of following along the cycle days and understanding um, how certain things felt for him. For instance, like the cervix moves inside of the vagina. So on different days of the cycle, the vaginas will feel longer or shorter depending on where that cervix is moving. And so different, you know positions will be different um sort of the the way in which we engage is different um and so things like that slowly caught on and then of course there was thinking about um him as a fertile person and him as a um you know just as a whole body person who wants to have good health um good uh, hormone levels these are things that we both of us want to have not just me so i think um that got him inspired to look into more of the solar and masculine herbs that are out there um things that are more specific to testosterone or um the balance of hormones for men in general who have a little bit of a different um they have a little bit of a different uh, pattern hormonally than we do. Our pattern, our core pattern is the menstrual cycle. So our core pattern is like 30 days, whereas uh, the masculine core pattern is 24 hours. So it's a solar cycle versus a lunar cycle, essentially, that um, the archetype breaks down into. And so the the changes are occurring at a different rate. And so the herbal support that's needed is a little bit different. Um, sometimes certain herbs work well for both parties, too. So that's been cool to share in that as well. Um, but yeah, it's been a, you know, just slowly like working on the, the things that are important to us health wise and trying to make sure that we do the other things that are important for health, like sleeping well, um, making sure that we are like emotionally supportive and these other aspects of life all, you know, come together to make the whole um, us and like how we operate from day to day. So, yeah, I, I think it to do research and and then to go place where you are starting with whatever is feeling really um, important to you at this moment to start with that and then work your way outward because there's so much time like I've been involved in this for however many years and I still every day I'm like learning a new herb learning how to utilize this bark or this berry or whatever it is so I'm you know I am just a novice because the world is just too large right. and um, I'll go the rest of there's nothing to be intimidated by it's just us living in the world and responding to it so start really small go for walks and see what's around you you know start with what's in your radius you have to be um this you know, special herb from the special eye somewhere far away at all so i think it helps to really start there and be grounded in it yeah i love that no i think that's really powerful and i think it speaks on the fact that you know, evolving your relationship with the earth, evolving your relationship with knowledge and, you know, education in the, in, in you know, in, in community knowledge is really going to evolve your relationship with yourself and with your partner and it really, in partners and it, it can really, you know, elevate just um, this sort of 
connectivity that we are, you know, sometimes sort of lacking in this sort of, in this really, you know, capitalist world that we're kind of living in that always kind of, you know, just tells us to go faster and faster. Um, well, let's play the game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to switch it up a little bit and we'll play a little game. Um, should we do okay. <laughs> yeah, these are them. Um, yes. Well, yeah, that, and then the position. Okay, so we got we got um six mm -hmm. six cards. Um, we need you. We going oh, yeah. We got six, so we could just gonna have you to pick three out of six. <laughs> you know, we ain't gonna have you do all of them, and they're gonna be numbered. So we just have you pick a number, and as you go, we're gonna eliminate oh. the number and call out the card. And you'll answer the question. Yeah, you'll answer the okay. question. <laughs> okay. Number one through six. Let's start with five. Okay. Five. What is your ultimate relationship deal breaker? Hmm. Deal breakers. My relationship deal breaker would be one that I cannot intellectually battle so you know how they say playing you know tennis with someone who's better than you is important to you know upping your game i feel like i'm constantly uh in a position where i'm playing against a player that's more advanced than me so um yeah my my major deal breaker would be that they would have to be able to keep up with me um and i found throughout my life especially i want to say with male partners specifically um that's so yeah that would be my deal breaker i don't know what your what's y'all's deal breakers what i can i tell <laughs> yeah no i love that i think yeah. that that makes sense that's a really good deal breaker i right. think that's something that i always say as well and you know for me, um, having my first male partner, because most of people that I've met, are, I agree, I felt haven't been able to keep up with me. <laughs> Whereas I've traditionally dated more female um, partners or, you know, just um, non-cis men. And so I think um, that that is something that I, I agree with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, yeah, I, I, will, I will feel like that and then also go to add to that like someone who who doesn't motivates me to do better you know so that inspiration yeah yeah that's that's what it is yeah it has to be um something that is uh challenging in a way to me um there need to be like constant evolution um in that doesn't have to be like a harsh thing but just i think more of us challenging each other in uh different aspects of life so that we continue growing you know i don't want to like wither with someone i really want to grow with that person or person so it's uh definitely the deal breaker for me yeah <laughs> totally okay next number okay let's go with uh one Number one, when my significant other blank, I feel love, fill in the blank. Uh, when my significant other uh, cooks, I feel loved. <laughs> um, that's really uh, a big part of our 
our time together as well is that you know we grow all this food so someone's got to cook it and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he takes control in that in that aspect i i definitely feel loved by his cooking a hundred percent um really makes me feel warm yeah that makes me feel so happy just like through food is like those really simple beautiful things so yeah, yeah. Uh, either of y'all cook sorry do either of you guys cook for for one another or yeah yeah well she does more of the cooking for me <laughs> versus you know because our our diets are are different so you know. <laughs> um i feel like there's like i i've definitely expanded my cooking i enjoy cooking it's not a you know for me i think um but i've definitely expanded my cooking skills i feel like in after after entering this because um i feel like i've I traditionally cooked more nepali foods and you know just more um foods that foods from home and so now i definitely expand more into southern cooking yeah. <laughs> so um, like. <laughs> yeah it's definitely yeah, an, an act of love that's, that's wonderful yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool it's good to expand cuisines and try and you know trade right there and heritage and um i think those are all beautiful aspects of uh of you know growing and um living with someone too or being close to them a lot um yeah. intimate thing that you can do okay next all right my last let's see hmm. you have two three four and six Okay, I'll go with six. <laughs> six. When you look in the mirror, what kind of person do you see? When I look in the mirror, I see strength. I see the strength of who I am um, and the sort of the leader I've been bestowed. Um, so I feel really honored uh, to be doing what I'm doing. And and that drives me in a way that uh, nothing else really has. I've had a lot I'm passionate about in life, but I really do feel um, that the strength in my story and that's doing the work that I'm doing now. So that is, uh, that's sort of how I've been feeling about about it lately is that um, it takes a lot to uh, bring in the energies of others who are hurting and who need help. And, and, and I feel that position is something that was uh, given to me with the, the knowing that I would have the strength to be able to uphold um, that position. So. Yeah. yeah, no, not bad. Um, now I'll ask you two questions that we always ask everybody on our show. So, um, and I kind of know a little bit too, but um, tell us first, kind of what are your views on monogamy, polygamy, just different kinds of relationships and lifestyles and um, kind of community building? So I've gone across this, um, you know, question like if, 
um, especially because we're sort of wanted that um, prescribed lifestyle that we're all, you know, given through uh, media and things like that about, you know, life goes this way, you get proposed to, and then you get married, and then you have a home or is. So I, um, I really like felt that that wasn't for me. And so that's originally opened my worldview to up. So, um, you know, my, my first uh, sexual and romantic relationships were with women. And that's kind of where my my story begins um, sexually. And then that kind of, you know, also opened me up, maybe things not being um, as strict as we had been taught. And so I started to develop sort of very young, like multiple relationship friendships with people um, of all genders and felt attached to either monogamy or um, polyamory or open relationships. Um, it's really up to the people who are engaged in it um, to determine what it, what it should be and what it will change into like over time, you know, things change too. And right. another big influence, like being involved in uh, activism. So just seeing that people are having lots of multiple relationships or um, inward uh, relationships, triads and, and such, and or living together in communal. So I think um, a lot of human existence more towards non-monogamous pairings of different kinds um just like the diversity of human relationships um monogamy seems extremely limiting um and also even if you don't engage in like sexual acts with another person i think monogamy extends into thoughts and like it's about policing um, social behaviors as not just sex. It's actually about policing all, a lot of relationship behavior. Um, just getting away from that. Um, relating to one another was what was most important to me. And then sort of figuring out like the labeling of it or what we would call it or like how people would connect with it or what we were defining it as. It wasn't as important as sort of making sure that we liked who we were and like we felt like our relationship dynamics were um sorted and like felt good to both of us yeah. um you know as as time changed yeah no i think that's really important that piece about like you know the the relation kind of evolving into different things and you know you both trying you know whoever the parties are just trying out different things in their life and in, in whatever kind of makes sense in that moment and being able to kind of change with it, if it makes sense, you know, for, for, for um, the parties involved. Um, tell us a little bit kind of about, and you kind of spoke on this too, about, you know, just relativity and kind of connection, but like, what does, what does love mean to you? Well, love is an expansive concept, but I uh, think that it means to, um, really to create a, a bond that share for looking off in the same direction. So it's about, you know, two people getting together and sort of meshing into, but that you're both there as, you know, independent souls, your um, wants and needs and desires, lives, uh, be a similar 
vision and that love is sort of station of that vision so when you create whether that's like creating a garden or creating a meal or creating a person um you know it it's that act of creation with one another that communion was um like me spiritually and and uh it's something that's you know consensual and enthusiastic and uh very challenging and um like I, I was saying before, where I want it to not always be easy. Um, although I want to feel the joys of life, I do want to also understand how to be agitated and challenged to be better. So, um, you know, I think with my current partnership, that's kind of what we have where we're definitely seeing the vision of what we want, you know, in our in our years to come. And we're willing to make the, you know, dedicated commitment to um, see that out together in whatever, you know, form that's going to come in, really just being able to shift and change and um, ride the waves of together. Um, it's it's a beautiful thing. Definitely is, and I think um, it's very clear to kind of see love on your skin and love on, and you know, in all forms that you're, it's clear to see that you are practicing it and it's clear to see that, you know, there's so much love between you and your partner and, and um, you know, we're just wishing the best for both of you. And uh, tell, I guess, one last thing that you wanna um, sort of tell the audience about your work or just about, you know, one last thing that they want to share. Yeah, um, I would love to share that, you know, wherever you are in your life at this time, um, you're going to grow far. And um, we're all just trying to a little bit more connect. And so if you've been um, afraid to approach others who have the same vision as you, if you've been sort of uh, scared to take that step of um, reaching out to uh, maybe someone who is a mentor or can help you on or that you can exchange goods with art with or um, even just that uh, just taking that small step can uh, you know really change the trajectory of life sometimes those little um, choices that whether it's what I've done with body literacy or what I've done working with medicine I really feel like I just try to go out there and tilt and the world is back and uh, I like to mm. feeling of courage um, others to do the same um, before we go um, if, if you can give us um, give them a little more details on the store you know um like do they have to become a member um you know what type of products that they can find and of course how can they get the book yeah thank you so much i appreciate it. well if you are interested in our tinctures um website is polycultured.com uh, right there, there's an order form. You can fill that out. Look at all the herb indications so you can see, like, you can read all of um, who shouldn't take it or, uh, you know, different health issues that may um, 
you know, interact with it. So go and check out the information on polyculture.com. And to get the body literacy coloring book and visual reader, you can head to learnbodyliteracy.com. That's where I do all my fertility work. You can my courses and my books, my podcast is there um, and all of my other blogs and resources. Um, so thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Millie, for mm -hmm. showing my books to um, <laughs> anyone who will listen. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it makes such a huge impact. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you both. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely, and the product definitely work. <laughs> the product definitely work. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I thank you yeah. so much, Nicole. Yeah. Much love to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs>